0: There aren't a lot of functioning democracies around the world that work this way, where you can basically uh, have millionaires and billionaires bankrolling uh, whoever they want, however they want, in some cases undisclosed.
1: So we're here today once again to say enough is enough. It's time for the people to take back their elections. It's time to overturn. Citizens
0: United. You know, I had to raise a lot of money for my campaign. Uh, So I,
2: there's nobody who operates in politics that has perfectly clean hands on this issue. I'm Nick Capodice.
3: I'm Hannah McCarthy. And
2: this is Civics 101, the podcast refresher course on the basics of how our democracy works. And today we are going to break down the Supreme Court decision that Jimmy Carter called stupid. That Barack Obama openly criticized at a State of the Union address, that former Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in an interview would be, quote, the impossible dream to overrule Citizens United versus FEC
4: 2010.
2: In this episode, you are going to learn about the case and a lot of initialisms the FEC, BCRA, known as BICRA, PACs, and super PACs, and you're also going to learn about corporations dark money, and finally, how this decision has affected political campaigns in the last 12 years. And all in about 20 minutes. 30 minutes.
3: Can we just get the name out of the way first? I, I know the FEC stands for the Federal Election Commission, but who or what is Citizens United?
2: Citizens United is a nonprofit organization that has for a long time made ads and documentaries that support conservative politicians. The head of Citizens United, David Bossie, was Donald Trump's deputy campaign manager. The reason that the people on the left are upset is because he's keeping his promises. He says what he means and he means what he says. They are funded by the Koch brothers and a lot of other sources. They are a PAC, a political action committee, which I'm going to get into in just a little bit. Do you remember we got to interview Michael Dukakis, the Democratic nominee for president, nineteen
3: eighty eight? Do I ever?
2: Yeah, it's gotta be fifty states, two hundred thousand precincts. I don't want to hear about reds, blues, and purples. I and mean, it's all just nonsense. You know, I mean, God. Citizens United were the ones who made one of the most infamous political commercials in history, the racist Willie Horton Attack Ad in 1988. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. Oh,
3: right. The ad that helped George H.W. Bush win the election.
2: Mm -hmm. And in 2008, they released a film called Hillary the Movie, uh, which was purely a hit piece on former first lady and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Hillary is really the closest thing we have in America to a European socialist. Oh, isn't that amazing? It's a woman. She can walk and talk. This movie is at the center of one of the most famous or infamous decisions in our lifetime, Hannah. Uh, A decision about who can give to political campaigns and how much. And we begin our tale with one
1: of the most expensive political campaigns in history. So if you want to go way back, historically, there were no limits in the 1800s. That's Jeff Bone. He is an assistant professor at St. Joseph's University
2: in Philadelphia.
3: No limits at all? On campaign spending in the 1800s?
2: Not at all. And this wasn't really talked about as nobody was really spending massive amounts of
1: money on campaigns. But this became an issue towards the end of the 19th century with the rise of donors like wealthy corporations and other individuals who were starting to dominate political campaigns. But
2: that big campaign was 1896 when William McKinley was running for president.
1: And imposed
2: upon the patriotic people of this country. 16.5 million dollars were raised for his political campaign. In fact, his chief fundraiser, Mark Hanna, said, quote, there are two things that are important in politics. The first is money, and I can't remember what the second one is.
3: OK, I know inflation calculators aren't 100 percent accurate, but is there a rough estimate of what that comes out to today?
2: Yeah, roughly about half a billion dollars. Wow. More than Mitt Romney raised in 2012. And then, more and more, campaign donations from corporations were becoming quite concerning to the public and the press.
3: And just to be clear, what do we mean when we say corporation?
2: Such a a tricky word to define. Simply, a corporation is a legal business entity that's separate from its owners.
1: Corporations have existed far before the United States, uh, and and the concept was borrowed from England and, and from Europe, generally speaking, um, where corporations were given charters typically by a monarch The responsibility of a corporation, which, by the way, were huge. We're talking about corporations that existed to engage in trade with the East, to be colonial powers in North America. And they did serve a purpose. I don't know if we would call it a public welfare purpose today because it was really serving the interests of the governments back home. Today, just about every large business is a corporation. You and I could make one right
2: now. We could just be the two shareholders who invest in it. We make money on stocks and dividends. And you and I are not personally liable for any company debt. Corporations can be one person,
1: too. You They can just have one shareholder. And just to be more clear on what that practically means, corporations can engage in contracts. They can have bank accounts. They can do things that any other individual person can do. But this is a bit of... A fallacy because, of course, corporations aren't people. They can't, when it comes to politics, run for office. They don't have political beliefs in the same way you or I do and other living people do. However, the law does accord them the privilege um, without much responsibility behind it to have these liberties. The first legislation
2: about corporations and their relationship to political campaigns begins with that trust busting, safari going bull moose.
3: Or maybe just Teddy Roosevelt, you could go with that.
1: I am leaving because somebody must lead, or else the fight would not be made at all. There was a political scandal of the time, that there was a large donations from corporations towards Republican candidates, including, including at the top of the ticket, Roosevelt himself. Now, this is in the era, too, of trust-busting. The Sherman Act was brought in a few years before that to cut down on corporate power, generally speaking, and its dominance and ability to create monopolies and, and, uh, and be beyond the control of, of the government to regulate. So there was swift action. Teddy Roosevelt signed into law the first campaign finance law in
2: U.S. history, the Tillman Act of 1907. This act prevented corporations from giving money to candidates directly which Roosevelt had indeed benefited from himself in the past. So this act washed his hands of the taint of corruption.
1: Which remedied the political scandal that had media entities like the New York Times making statements that this is the problem. This is leading to potential corruption by allowing corporations to contribute whatever they want and to decide who's going to win the outcome of these elections.
3: Is the Tillman Act still in effect?
2: In a sense, it is corporations are still not allowed to directly give to campaigns from their coffers.
3: Though I have a feeling there's a workaround.
2: There is a workaround, and we're going to get there. Uh, So that's how things stood. Over the years, a bunch of other acts came along that tweaked campaign funding laws. But the problem was, there wasn't really anybody minding the store. Who should be in charge of making sure nobody breaks the law when it comes to campaign financing? And there is a bit of an irony and who gets the ball rolling?
3: Cool, I know that campaign song. Nixon now.
4: Nixon now.
2: That's Nixon now. Richard Milhouse Nixon signed the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1972, one of the provisions of which required campaigns and political committees to report the names, addresses, and occupations of donors of more than $200 to campaigns. I mean, it is kind of funny, isn't it?
3: It is kind of funny. And by the way, everyone, the reason why Nick and I find this kind of funny is that 1972 is also the year of the Watergate break-in and the beginning of the investigation which uncovered that Nixon's re-election campaign involved money laundering and illegal slush funds, all of which resulted in his resignation.
4: In all the decisions I have made in my public life, I have always tried to do what was best for the nation.
2: Nevertheless, in 1974, partially in response to Nixon's shady dealings, the Federal Election Campaign Act was amended to create a new regulatory agency, the FEC, which, as you said, Hannah, stands for Federal Election Commission. And what do they do? They enforce campaign finance laws, one of which is a bit of a workaround that while donations are limited to candidates, donors could donate unlimited money political parties instead if and only if the party used that money for what we're called quote party building activities this is what is now referred to as soft money
3: party building activities is that like helping people register to vote
2: yeah and making commercials that aren't about specific candidates but are about issues you know like The people need to know that crime is an issue and Candidate X is weak on crime. It doesn't say don't vote for Candidate X or vote for Candidate Y, but it's pretty darn close.
3: I feel like there's an awful lot of wiggle room in there.
2: A ton. So much wiggle room that Senators John McCain and Russ Feingold reached across the aisle to create a new act. It was so important that a Democrat and a Republican did this together. They put it in the name, BCRA, or BICRA, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. It's also called the McCain-Feingold Act. Uh, This act said that corporations cannot make a political ad that names a candidate 30 days before a primary or a caucus or 60 days before a general election.
3: And this is where the creation of Hillary the Movie comes in, right?
2: We are so close. Hillary the Movie was created in direct response to another movie. Members of Congress, this is Michael Moore. I would like to read to you the USA Patriot Act. Let the eagles soar. Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore's documentary about George W. Bush's response to September 11th, was released in 2004 a scant few months before the election between George Bush and John Kerry. Michael Moore, by the way, has made several movies about politically charged topics. And someone filed a complaint to the FEC saying, Hey, this movie violates Bicra. It was funded by corporate entities. It names a candidate, George W. Bush. uh, Ads for this movie should not be aired 60 days before the election. And you know who made that complaint? Who? Who? A certain little nonprofit called Citizens United.
3: The same corporation that made their own political ads, and now they're mad that someone else is doing it?
2: Yeah. The FEC dismissed the complaint, though, uh, and Citizens United went on to make their own movie in response four years later. Hillary the Movie. Again, a 90-minute attack on Hillary Clinton. Uh, It came out just before the primary between her and Barack Obama. The FEC said that ads for this movie could not air before the primary. Citizens United sued, and it moved up the court system to the very top. And what happened next resulted in one of the most influential Supreme Court decisions in U.S. history. And that's coming up right after the break, here on Civics 101.
3: But first, if you want a primer on more Supreme Court decisions, along with a breakdown of every branch of government, our election system... Our foundational documents and a history of our main parties, Nick and I took what we learned over many years of getting to know our government and systems and put it into a book. It's called A User's Guide to Democracy, How America Works. And you can get it at your bookseller of choice.
2: And by the way, the cartoons in our book were drawn by the brilliant Tom Toro, who has just illustrated a children's book called I'm Terrified of Bath Time. You should check that out while you're at it.
3: All right, we're back. Citizens United versus FEC is being argued in the highest court of the land. So, Nick, what is the question they're arguing?
2: Well, at first, it's what we call a very narrow question. It's very specific to one moment in time. Can Citizens United distribute and advertise Hillary the movie on on-demand cable just before the primary? But as so often is the case, narrow questions can become big, sweeping questions. Rulings.
4: We'll hear argument today in case 08205, Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. Mr. Olson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court.
2: There's a famous moment in the argument where uh, the person representing the FEC, Deputy Solicitor General Malcolm L. Stewart, is asked by the justices, well, what about a book? We're talking about a movie here, but what about a book? That's pretty incredible. You think that if, if uh, a book was published... Uh, A campaign biography that was the functional equivalent of express advocacy, uh, that could be banned. I'm not saying it could be banned. I'm saying that Congress could prohibit the use of... Can the government ban a book critical of a candidate if it comes out before an election? And the more conservative justices latched on to that and did not let go. They were very anti-banning books. The court meets to discuss how they're going to vote, and it seems like it's 5-4 in favor of Citizens United... Chief Justice John Roberts was poised to write the opinion and Justice David Souter the dissent. But New Yorker reporter Jeffrey Toobin revealed that Souter's dissent was not your run-of-the-mill dissent. It was very critical of Chief Justice Roberts and that it, quote, aired the court's dirty laundry. So Roberts said the case would be reheard in the next session and Justice Kennedy would write the opinion and Justice Souter retired.
3: Whoa. Will we ever know what was in Justice Souter's dissent?
2: We will if we live that long, Hannah. Uh, His papers are set to be released in 2060. So in the next session, the decision was announced. Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote and read the opinion. And in a rare occurrence, Justice John Paul Stevens read his dissent, which was longer than the opinion, aloud from the bench.
3: That never happens, right?
2: Sometimes.
1: While American
2: democracy is still imperfect, Few outside the majority of this court would have thought its flaws included a shortage of corporate money and politics.
3: Okay, so the thing that everyone says about Citizens United, the sort of pop culture phrase that we all know about it, Mm -hmm. is that Citizens United decided that corporations are people. Yeah. Did it say that? Is that in there?
2: No. No, it did not. Uh, Interestingly, that is not in Justice Kennedy's opinion. The decision says political speech rights do not depend on the identity of the speaker. That speaker can be a person or a group of people.
3: Okay, so campaign donations are considered speech. Speech is protected by the First Amendment. Corporations also have those protections. So does that mean that corporations can now give to campaigns?
2: Uh, No, and this is a very common misconception. Corporations, even after the ruling, still could not give directly to candidates. But they could give indirectly through what are called PACs. And now we need to get some definitions out of the way.
0: Yeah, so all these different groups, PACs, super PACs, dark money groups, they're all just different ways of setting up a group that's going to spend money on an election.
2: This is political reporter Maggie Severns. She covers policy for GRID.
0: A PAC is a political action committee. It is kind of a bucket where money goes in and money goes out. Now, PACs have been around for quite a while, and PACs have pretty strict limitations on what they can take in and how they spend. So a PAC can give money directly to a candidate, but they can't give that much money. The most kind of traditional PACs might be PACs that are kind of associated with a company or a political group. And they're not part of that group, but everyone who is involved in technology might all give $5,000 to the technology PAC. And then the technology PAC gives $5,000 each to candidates that are doing what people in the technology sector want. And for a long time, that was... Pack spending. That's all it was, is, you know, you would kind of take in these donations from a lot of people that, you know, believed in one cause, and then you would give those donations to a campaign.
3: All right. $5,000 is the limit for campaign contributions from a single source. A bunch of people give that amount or less to a PAC they care about. And the PAC is in charge of allocating that money. Mm-hmm,
2: right. And the ruling in Citizens United did not change that. Your PAC cannot give more than $5,000 directly to each candidate. But then we get to super PACs.
0: Now, a super PAC was created after Citizens United, and they can take in unlimited amounts of money for anyone. So they could take that, you know... $3 million check, whereas a PAC can only take in the low thousands of dollars depending on who they're getting their money from. Um, So a super PAC is really what enabled that big money spending because then a super PAC can go out and buy an ad and drop $2 million on an ad. Um, You have all kinds of super PACs. Some of them just support one person. Uh, Some of them support, you know, all Republican candidates or all Senate races. So Citizens United really opened the door For a super PAC to exist because there was no unlimited political spending before Citizens United.
3: Now, just to make sure I have it, super PACs don't give money to candidates, but they spend money to support candidates. Mm -hmm. A regular old PAC can give money to a candidate, but it's limited. Individuals and corporations can spend unlimited money to support a candidate, but they can't give it directly to
2: them. Right. And there's this hard rule about that uh, referring to coordination. Super PACs may not, under any circumstances, have any sort of coordination with the campaign. They can't tell them what to do if i'm running for office i can't call the super PAC that's like spending millions of dollars to get me elected and say hey could you run an ad where i'm in a pickup truck and i'm talking to folks at a diner and i'm looking real concerned and then my opponent is drinking champagne at a fancy restaurant can you do that for me Uh uh-uh not allowed
0: talking about people trying to get away with one thing or another you can look at coordination as being a really interesting example of that. So there's this thing called red boxing or yellow boxing, where when a committee, let's say that I am the DCCC and I'm in charge of electing Democrats to Congress. And I think to myself, man, I really could use a ad, a super PAC to run a bunch of ads about how this candidate's opponent is really bad on the economy but I can't talk to the super PAC, right? Because there's no coordination between a candidate or a committee and the super PAC. They're supposed to be totally independent. What folks started to do, all these different, you know, and this goes for both sides of the aisle, they were all kind of experimenting, is you would actually, on your website, put a little yellow or red box, and it looks very like web.0, it looks very kind of dorky, and it'll say something that sounds kind of cheesy and coded, saying like, um, people in Missouri need to know this. You click on the box and it'll take you to a page that they've developed with all the language that they would like in the ad.
3: I'm not telling you what to do with the gun, but I'm going to leave it right here on the (laughs) table for you.
2: I know. Maggie sent me a link to an archived website. Thank you, Internet Archive, with a box just like that. Uh, The box said, Ohio needs to know. And I clicked on it and I saw a bunch of messaging and a link to archival footage from the campaign trail.
3: Footage that might just be perfect to put in an ad
2: Yeah, hypothetically of course That was the funny thing, it was like Here are the arguments we feel And here's just a ton of footage for B-roll It's just just generic A candidate on the campaign trail Do what you want with it And it's not just red boxing. There are Twitter accounts that come out of nowhere with suggestions for super PACs. Books full of opposition research get sent to offices. There are ways around coordination.
3: Now, I want to get back to something you said about the decision. And it was confusing for me because I did think, like so many others, that this case was about corporations being allowed to give huge sums of money to candidates through super PACs.
2: Yeah, this caught me off guard, too.
4: Every student's, you know, have perception that you know Citizens United fundamentally change American politics and campaign finance system.
2: This is He Young Yu, a professor of political science at New York University. Hee Young said that this is her number one misconception that her students have about the case.
4: But when we look at details, yes. There are parts that Citizens United really transformed, uh, you know, campaign finance in the U.S. But at the same time, there are sections that Citizens United didn't touch at all. For example, you know, the direct uh, campaign contribution made to the candidates. That has not changed at all by the, you know, Citizens United. So, but, you know, students have this perception. This is, you know, the boom. We you know everything changed after Citizens United. And also because of the you know, political rhetorics, a lot of students assume that corporations and big banks, right, the big corporations, they spend tons of money to sponsor super PACs after Citizens United, which is not true. But why?
3: Like if I were the head of a company and I knew a politician was going to pass legislation that helped my industry, wouldn't I do whatever I could to get them elected?
2: Aha. But if you're a big company that's in the public eye, like Google, Apple, AT&T, McDonald's, you have shareholders. You have a board to answer to. You have the public and the press watching your every move and tweeting about it. All of those entities are going to find out who you gave your money to. And for example, He young referenced the January 6th insurrection.
4: After that, you know, some of the consumer, uh, the activists or some of the you know, people on Twitter and social media, they actually revealed, you know, these are the corporations who donated to the politician who endorsed January 6th riot. And what happened after that? A lot of corpor- corporations, they withdrew. You know they withdrew their donation from those politicians and you know, they are you know they don't make a donation in the next election cycles right companies you know even though they have a lot of power and wealth still you, know, you need to cater to consumer preferences you need to cater to shareholder preferences so there are some constraints that corporations face and that's why even though a lot of people including you know president obama uh, Senator Warren, you know, really worry about the explosion of money. Yes, we had an explosion of money, but not by the corporations, but mostly by wealthy individuals who are really politically active.
2: And I do want to add one wrinkle to this. Jeff Bone sent me a report about a way that corporations have begun to start to increase spending on campaigns that absolves them of all public scrutiny. Briefly, there are large nonprofits called Five Two Sevens. The biggest of which are the Republican and Democratic Governors Associations. So corporations have been giving to them, and that's public information. We all know it. Uh, and then those associations give that money to other super PACs to influence state and local elections.
3: Aha! Uh-huh. And since those five twenty-sevens, which I am I have never heard about before, this are just massive generic buckets that then go to other places, it's impossible to hold a corporation accountable, right? As there are so many steps.
2: Right. Uh, And the last 10 years, about $1 billion have gone to these associations, half of which came from public company treasuries. And in that time, uh, Republican 527s have received twice as much money as Democrat 527s to influence local elections.
3: However... Hey Young said the biggest donations in the wake of Citizens United, the explosion of money, has been from wealthy individuals to super PACs, right? So how much are we talking?
2: A study was done on just the publicly available information on donations, not to speak of unavailable data, but about four hundred families are responsible for half of all presidential campaign financing.
3: That's a lot of money from a very few people. And when you're a candidate so heavily funded by one super rich person, you're probably going to do things that satisfy that person, right? Right,
2: right. And nobody else.
3: Yeah. But you said not to speak of the unavailable data. I do want to speak of the unavailable data, the non-public data. Are there donations given that we don't know about?
2: Well, there shouldn't be because PACs have to tell you who gives to them. Here's Maggie Severance again.
0: PACs have always had to disclose their donors. Um, The Supreme Court, when it did the Citizens United opinion, it said that this principle of transparency and disclosure that's kind of been around with PACs for a while should also apply to unlimited political spending. So as long as you are disclosing what you're doing, then the spending is constitutional. For example, one thing that we've seen more and more with super PACs is that someone will give to... an organization, you know, maybe a five hundred one c four, who will then transfer that money to the super PAC. Well, do you know where that money came from? If it's being transferred from one group to
4: another, yeah. So there are a lot of nonprofit organizations, and so it's the five hundred one c. So that's a basically our IRS, you know, code, right? So when IRS, you know, tried to set the tax rate, and five hundred one c is basically tax exempt nonprofit organizations. And for example NYU is a 501c3 which is you know the education. NRA National Rifle Association is a 501c4. Planned Parenthood is also 501c4. So 501c4 is a social welfare organization according to IRS definition and these organizations and they are supposed to work to improve social welfare.
2: These nonprofits since they're supposed to work for social welfare cannot spend more than 50% of their budget on campaign contributions.
4: But the downside or the one opaque thing, downside is, when you donate, you can, you know, as an individual, if you're a wealthy individual or an ordinary citizen, you can donate to Planned Parenthood. You can donate to NRA, right? But those donations are not disclosed.
3: Okay, so someone could donate to a 501c3 anonymously. And then that money gets transferred to a super PAC and nobody knows who did it.
2: Right. This is referred to as, quote, dark money. Uh, It's becoming more and more prevalent. And these donations are not traceable. And if you're curious how all of this, super PACs, dark money, all of it, has affected how campaigns are run, here are some numbers. Uh, In 2008, the year of Hillary the movie, the FEC reported that a total of $1.6 billion was spent. By contrast, the 2020 election, over $14 billion, $5.7 billion on the Trump-Biden race and the rest on the congressional races. Now, each office is different, but nowadays it costs a lot of money to run for Congress. The average is $1.1 million for a House seat, $6.5 million for the Senate.
3: Now, we started with you saying how politicians and Supreme Court justices have criticized this decision. Did anyone you spoke to say there were any positives to this decision at all? Mm -hmm.
2: I want to be forthright here and say that all three guests I interviewed were, quite frankly, critical of the decision. And so I asked Jeff if
1: there was a plus side, a pro to the decision, and he gave me one. On the advantage side, businesses and multinational corporations are fairly nimble about responding to crisis. And I'm just thinking about even currently in the situation between Russia and Ukraine, you see corporations responding in ways that perhaps governments are slow to or there's constraints on government. And so there is a a fair comment that businesses express some important democratic values and, and have agency and should be regarded and have an ability to um, speak to issues that are political in nature. You see, companies can move faster than
2: politicians. They can do stuff without it going through Congress. These massive donations create a relationship between corporations and politicians. And that politician might ask a company to do something because the politician is unable to. And then I asked hey young for an advantage, a way the decision was in the nation's best interest.
4: I'm not sure whether I can make that, you know, argument because, you know, if you look at the sheer amount of money in American election, that's a mind-blowing, right? Especially the the amount of independent expenditures, you know, spent by super PACs. So, do we really need this amount of money in elections? And, you know, U.S. is a country that elect basically everybody, judges and prosecutors. And if you look at other countries, it's extremely rare to find a cases that, you know, the judge is elected or prosecutor is elected. So now this is super PACs. They are not just spending money on, you know, presidential elections and Senate elections. They are, you know, infiltrating the lower level elections, you know, county sheriff and judges, right? So in that sense, a national super PACs, you know, they are having so much power in terms of shaping every election result and every layer of the government.
1: When an individual or a business has a substantial financial chest of, a war chest to um, support the political process, those are our lawmakers. Those are the ones that determine what the regulations are going to be. Citizens United By being a clear win for large money to say there is no limits that the government can impose upon businesses and wealthy donors that want to influence an issue or uh, use that money to advertise on behalf of a candidate are picking a winner or or, are letting those with money be those with power in the political process. And the impact on our politics is going to be corrosive as a result.
4: If you can just cater to one billionaire... You don't need to appeal to broader set of voters, right? If one billionaire could, you know, finance, you know, 10 politicians compared to to you know, for example, 20 million people. I think that has a very different implication in terms of representation, political accountability, and politicians, you know, behavior.
3: What about the future of Citizens United? I can't help but look at that number 14 billion dollars and wonder If it's ever going to go down or even stay static, are super PACs just going to keep giving more and more?
2: So one of the rallying cries of those who don't like the decision is, quote unquote, overturn Citizens United. Uh, Because it is a court ruling, only the Supreme Court itself can, quote, overturn its decision. Uh, Though I will say every few years, someone in Congress proposes an amendment that will uh, establish corporations as entities without First Amendment protections or put restrictions on dark money. And I asked Maggie about those amendments, and she kind of laughed and said, yeah, yeah, you see those every now and then. Amendments aren't at all likely to be successful. And I'm not trying to be a killjoy or anything, but amendments require two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-fourths of all states to be ratified and added to our Constitution. So, yeah, it's just not going to happen.
3: So, for those who do not like such a staggering sum of money in political campaigns, what's the good news?
2: Well, I think there's two little pieces of good news. The first of which is a rising trend of politicians on both sides of the aisle raising significant sums, not from super PACs, not from dark money, but from people. Lots and lots of small donations.
1: Anybody here know what the average contribution is? right, $27. Now, this in itself is revolutionary.
2: And the second upshot? Maggie made me stop and think about what all this money buys in the first place.
0: Some money that's spent on elections is spent in a very effective way. And political ads do move people's opinions somewhat. Um, But especially as media gets more and more sophisticated, I think that consumers are getting more and more sophisticated. So people, I think people have a sense, one, that they're being kind of ripped off by Washington. They also, in some cases, this money doesn't sway an election as much as you would think, you know, when really well deployed, it can. But I, I think that kind of sophisticated consumers of political news can also increasingly kind of sift through things and form their own opinions. So I think it's important to remember that people aren't powerless in this situation. You're not, you know, there's no kind of earworm in your brain telling you exactly who to vote for and how to think. Um, There are some kind of troubling things happening, but people can still take in information and make decisions for themselves.
2: That's Citizens United versus the FEC. Okay, and maybe it turned out to be about 40 minutes instead of 30. I just tried to pack a lot in. Yeah, know what I'm saying? This episode was made by me, Nick Capodice, with Hannah McCarthy. Our staff includes Jackie Fulton, Christina Phillips is our senior producer, and Rebecca Lavoie, our executive producer. Music in this episode by Electro Swing, Anatech, Bio Unit, Eric Kilcanny, Auto Hacker, Bonkers, Beat Club, Scott Gratton, Scott Holmes, Fabian Tell, Francis Wells, Dama Beats, and as if that wasn't enough, Chris Zabriskie. Civics One Hundred and One is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.